back to the Cinema Silo. I'm Jessie. We're just having a free episode where we're, we're talking about what we've been watching and listener questions and what we're going to do next. So welcome back. Sorry, what have you guys been watching recently? Anything good? TV, movies? I watched Frozen 2. <laughs> okay, I have to admit, I've never seen Frozen. Well then... Frankie, you gotta yeah, fix Frankie. that, and then gonna... circle back to me. I'm too, I'm too far in now. I'm too far in. No, I can't. No. I mean, it's a movie about sisters. It's a Disney movie yeah. about sisters. It's kind of an insult to us that you were. If you to wanted watch me it. to watch it, you should have chosen it as your sister's movie. Mm. Well, fine, fair. <laughs> so, did you like it as much as the first one? I thought they were both good. They both have great messaging about, you know, girls doing it for themselves and doing it together. It's great. Mm. I like it. Is it? It's not Pixar, right? It's just Disney. It's Disney. Okay. I mean, what did you guys think of the Sisters series that we did? Did it make you reflect on sisterhood? <laughs> I wish I had picked Frozen. Yeah. Now I'll never see it. It was a tough category there were a lot of good movies i'm really glad that we did it and i think that the movies we picked were good choices and we we got a lot out of it there's a lot that you could learn about <laughs> us from listening to the last three episodes yeah annie a lot of psychological insights mostly into annie not just yeah, me into annie not just me so i it's thought that while annie. we were doing it that it was mostly just me but <laughs> actually going back and listening to it i think that the two of you Subtly revealed. Oh, like yeah? What? Like, like what? what like what? Like what? Like what? Mm-mm. Because you got mm-hmm. nothing. Nothing. That's right. Say it. Say it. <laughs> the other movie that I wish that we could have watched did not actually involve sisters, but involved three siblings, and it's the Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. Because I think even though they're men and they're <gasps> brothers, so that they yeah. really captured the three dynamic. <laughs> I think that's the closest representation to our <laughs> in a movie. I really wanted to pick it too, but we made it sisters. There's something about the movies that we picked that capture something specific about like the female sisterly experience, but the Dark Jeeling Limited is definitely, I think, the most accurate reflection of our specific dynamic. Yeah, that's yes. true. Yeah. Like, yes. I love, I always think... <laughs> The eldest brother, Owen Wilson, ordering for everybody at the table. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I've never done time. that, though, but I would. <laughs> no, but that's your energy. That's <laughs> but also, I think of the middle brother played by Adrian Brody every time Owen Wilson takes out his tooth. The middle brother's like, could you once? Could you say something? Maybe, like, please forgive this? It's gross. <laughs> Very Frankie. Oh, yeah, the... The, the whole dynamic is so good. Jason Schwartzman is so Annie. He's just, like, watching a lot of it. <laughs> I mean, he has all my favorite lines. He wants them to read his writing, but he's also hesitant to share his writing. And then when he does, it's so clearly about their something they experience together. And he's like, it's fiction. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He's like, yeah, you really, like, <laughs> like it's fiction. <laughs> yeah. the, the two older brothers are fighting, and he's... He, like, picks up a can of mace, and he maces them in the face and says, Stop including me! I love you, but I'm going to mace you in the face! (laughs) And they just take it all in stride, and they're just like, Okay, lone wolf, you can go in the other room. (laughs) 
Uh, oh, and also, um, the the middle brother, Adrian Brody, just, like, having all of their dad's belongings. Yeah. And, like, that's how he feels connected, and that's how he's working through his grief. I was like, same! That's... <laughs> he's wearing the glasses that don't... They have the prescription, yes. and then he keeps having... He gets these headaches, so they start calling him Rubby. Yep. Behind his back, because <laughs> he keeps rubbing, rubbing his head. head. <laughs> I take it order, please? Let's see. We want meat or fish? I'm gonna have the chicken. Jack, you wanna try the fish? I bet that's delicious. And Peter, the lamb? Chicken, a fish, and a lamb? How does that sound? Now, who wants the soup? Raise your hand. Are those dad's glasses? Yeah. You still have his prescription in here. How can you see in these? Three soups. So, that's Could you not order for me, please? What? Order for yourself. Annie, what have you been watching? Anything? I don't want to admit. <laughs> Annie, we all know that you I... only watch garbage. <laughs> and the leftovers. <laughs> Secret Life of the American Teenager. <laughs> I went back and I started watching the show ER from the beginning. That's a lot of content. <laughs> And I am through 12 of 15 seasons. Oh my god, what? Annie, you just told us you started doing this, like, recently. That's not true. That was like a week ago (laughs) that you started doing this. It's been a couple of weeks. I don't watch every episode. I skip through most of them because I just have favorite characters and I really just want to see their storylines. Number one, number one, that's not allowed. You have to sit through the whole thing. <laughs> Not after season eight. Once Mark Green is gone, the show is bad. Also, there's like 25 episodes per season. 22 hour-long episodes per season. Should we say a sentence or two about what ER is? What is ER? ER was a little show that started in 1995 about a Chicago emergency room and all of the doctors and surgeons who work there. And nurses and PAs and orderlies. It's mostly about the staff. What do you think is the biggest legacy of ER? Because I think it's George Clooney. Yeah. Okay, fair. (laughs) How much of the show with George Clooney have you actually seen? None. All of it. None. It was before my time. Exactly. All of it. (laughs) Exactly. It was before my time. But I remember watching ER growing Mm -hmm. up, but... And I know that it's George Clooney and Juliana Margulies in the early seasons, but I've never really seen that. And then actually watching the show, it's not just them. It's also Eric LaSalle, and it's Anthony Edwards, Alex Kingston, and it's an incredible cast. Alex Kingston, like Riversong from Doctor Who? Riversong from Doctor Who. She marries Mark Green, played by Anthony Edwards. I didn't know that. Yes. And they have a baby. Spoiler. That brings together the two things I've been watching. I revisited Grey's Anatomy. Obviously, I'm in no place to judge anyone's choices. <laughs> right, right. And right. when I said this to my sisters for the first time, Jesse said, and spoilers ahead for Grey's Anatomy. I mean, it's been going on for 16 years, so I don't know what to say. But <laughs> spoilers. Jesse said, stop when George dies. I'm way beyond that now. I'm like at the merger. They've merged. There's been, like, I don't even know what's going on. I feel, like, discombobulated. I feel like I don't understand what's going on, but I can't stop watching. Right. And it's like, I've watched every episode, and I still don't quite understand. <laughs> well, now you're committed. Now you have what's to... Happening? I mean, it's still on air, right? It 
it is. And then what I started doing is YouTubing clips of the latest season, which deals with COVID. And boy, oh boy, I, it's unrecognizable, the show <laughs> today. Like even from eight years ago or whenever, when it was already past like its expiration date. Do you mean in the production quality? Do they look different? Is it shot differently? I think so. It has like that Vaseline on the camera effect, which is very cheap looking. And that's what I've come to associate with Grey's Anatomy because that's what it looks like now. But when you go back and watch the first two or three seasons, it didn't look like that. It was shot a little bit more like like ER, I think. Also, I've been rewatching parts of Doctor Who. I watched a, a five-hour YouTube video talking about the last season of Doctor Who that I haven't even seen. Well, then I've got a show for you, Frankie. <laughs> it's a little show called ER. <laughs> Plenty to watch. I mean, but Jesse, like, ER was huge, right, when it was on. When did it kind of fall off? Because it definitely did fall off. At the end of season eight, when Mark Green leaves, the entire show after that is basically like trauma porn. Mm. Yeah. And is deeply upsetting. That's what yeah. happened to Grace, too. It's just trauma porn. My friend came to visit this weekend, and we were talking mm. about that very episode of <laughs> ER, and she was talking about watching it alone in the attic in her parents' house and just, like, heaving, sobbing, crying. <laughs> And her mom was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and she's like, Dr. Green said to be generous with your life oh and with your time and with your love. Ugh. Stop. <laughs> His final words. Yeah. I cried really hard. Now that I can just binge all of the episodes, you see how the three, two or three episodes leading up to his death, they play with the timeline. Mm. You see everything leading up to when he's about to die, and then you see the aftermath of when he's going to die before that episode, mm. which is the like the second to last of the season. Oh, really? Yeah, mm. and it's actually really interesting timelines and really interesting writing where two episodes before he actually dies, his wife goes to meet him because he's in Hawaii and she gets a call from his daughter saying he's not going to be able to come back. Like he's His cancer has gotten too far along and he won't be able to come back, so you have to come to us. You see that two episodes before. Mm. And then in the directly preceding episode, the people in the ER get faxed a letter from Hawaii. Yeah. Faxed a letter. <laughs> from Dr. Green that he is writing from the beach and he is just describing the scene that he's looking at of his wife and his daughters playing on the beach and he's saying how much he missed them and how mm. grateful he was that he was able to live his life with them oh my god and how he'll miss them and then he says well I have to go because we just found the seashell so you know I, I have to focus and then he stops and then a second letter comes in the fax and it's from his wife saying that he passed away with the sunset that morning and everyone's crying <laughs> and then you tune in the next week and then you have to watch him in his final days in that whole yeah. episode i got to do it like five minutes yeah. later but everyone else had to wait a week yeah <laughs> i was trying to figure out what I should have already told you, but I never have. Something important. Something every father should impart to his daughter. Finally got it. Jenny. 
generosity. Be generous with your time, with your love, with your life. That brings us to um, actually a listener question that we got. And that question is, could you discuss what might be the lasting effects of the pandemic on movie production, how streaming is changing audience appetites, will theater movie going be changed completely, and that sort of a thing. Um, and the reason that I say that that um, is relevant to, to what Annie just said about like being able to just like turn on the next episode and not having to wait a week, it really does change how you consume this show. So like watching Grey's Anatomy and just binging it the way I have. I'm not paying attention half the time when mm -hmm. it's on. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching the first couple seasons as they aired, right? Like, I remember doing that with Jesse. Like, how exciting it was to wait week to week to see what was going to happen, right? Like, were Derek and Meredith going to hook up? And then, you know, when Addison shows up and it's that's the cliffhanger and you have to wait a week to figure out what happened. Now, you know, I watched the new season of Shrill. I watched it in one night. You know, I haven't really thought about it all that much since I finished it, because you're not waiting week to week. And I think that the pandemic is going to make that even more common. I mean, it was already the, the mode of entertainment before the pandemic, but I can't really see people returning to a lot of like going to the movie theater and on a mass level, like having week to week. Like Disney Plus has tried to do that with WandaVision, right? And Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where they release it week to week. And that was really well received. But is that going to be a trend beyond that? I don't know. What do you think? This ties into another thing that I've been watching, which is Mayor of Easttown, which is on HBO mm. Max, and it goes week to week. I'm watching it with a friend, and we don't watch it at the same time, but we watch it within a couple of days of each other, and then we talk about what happened. You know, I totally. think that there's definitely, like, TV that where they can do that, and that doesn't affect viewership, and then there's the kind of maybe weaker shows or shows with a like shrill i think is a fantastic show i really liked it if i had to go back remember to watch it each week i might lose track of it at a certain point and then just say well i'll circle back and then i'll binge it well i was gonna say like i totally agree like with the wandavision and falcon and the winter soldier shows those aren't normally shows that i would be so hyped for but because they were week to week and they were these big mass appeal shows that everyone was kind of watching it did create a moment that during the pandemic felt really necessary. Like it really made me feel connected to my friends who were watching it. And it gave you something to look forward to and it marked the time, the passage of time, which was also nice. Yes, that's so true. Yeah, for me, it's that, you know, when Dan Fogelman started writing shows for NBC, like he got me hooked on now I expect a weekly catharsis mm -hmm. from watching Parenthood or now This Is yeah. Us every week. I schedule a weekly cry. And I know he's going to, like, he's going to deliver on that for yeah. me. And it's like, okay, another week has passed. But what's going to happen with movies? I don't know. I think that's going to be more affected because when you have stuff like, I don't know, Godzilla versus King Kong, which was supposed to be such a huge, you know, start of the summer movie, go to streaming, are audiences really going to want to go back to the movie theater where they have to pay $15 to sit and be surrounded, you know, by people on their phones and I don't know. I think, yes, I think that movie theaters will survive. I think that 
the experience of the movie theater is so different mm. from being in my house, looking at my TV screen, looking at my laptop. It turns the movie into an event, and I can't look at my phone. I can't pause and leave. I am involved in a communal experience with everyone around me who's also watching this movie. It's also a reason to like get out of the house, mm -hmm. and I think at a certain point people are going to be like looking forward to that. I know that I already want to watch that movie. I'd love to make a night of it. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd love to go out and do that. Not that's not to say that I'm going to feel that with every movie yeah. because there are plenty of nights where I have no desire to leave my house, and I'd much rather just be at mm -hmm. home and watch a movie. But I think that the other instinct and the other desire isn't going to disappear. Yeah. I think that movie theaters will survive. But I think it's going to be different. Just the whole movie production landscape has changed. You know, Martin Scorsese has written about this to some controversy, like this idea that you have these massive blockbusters created by Disney, for example, that are cannibalizing the rest of the industry. They're not making space for, like, middle-of-the-road flicks. Like, I think an example of, of a rare movie that used to be more popular is Knives Out. Those sorts of movies used to come out more often, and they don't really so much anymore. What you really have now is you have the big blockbusters, you have the James Bonds and the Marvel movies, mm. and then you have I'm gonna... then you have more independent or micro-focused, like, A24 movies. I think that Knives Out... I'm going to push back on that as maybe like a mid middle of the road thing because the cast was so stacked that that I think at any point, you know, throughout film in every decade, you're going to have a bunch of big hits that are big in large part because you have so many people in the cast who are like bringing people into the theater. Well, I'm not even talking about the success of the film. I'm talking about the production of the film. And a middle-of-the-road film can have a stellar cast. It's more about the, the funding and the production size. But it's also Ryan Johnson, right? I think that there were so many big names attached to that one that... And my I point is that it's rare. Other, like, it's rare middle... to have right, but those movies. I'd like to think... So, but, like, if how would we understand what middle-of-the-road would be? Because there's got to be something between indie... There isn't anymore. This is my point. Marvel. And this is what Scorsese has said, too, and and a lot of people are talking about is that the way that the funding and selection of scripts, for example, has changed has been that they're, these big films fund the small ones, but they're really not going for middle-budget movies anymore. It, it's absolutely true that the movies that are made and that make money have changed in the past 25 years because of the rise of these blockbusters, because of Marvel. And like I say this, I like... Yeah. I'm sick of the Marvel movies. I honest. say this with love in my heart for some of these Marvel movies, but they have totally changed Hollywood and the way movies are funded and chosen and made. Yeah. Well, there's an Angelina Jolie movie that's out now on HBO Max called Those Who Wish Me Dead. It's like an action film. Mm -hmm. And it will be on HBO Max streaming for a month. And then it will be released in theaters. Mm -hmm. I like that model because I'm not going to go out and pay $15 to see it, but I'll waste some time watching it. It doesn't look that great, but, you yeah, know, like, right. like I want the opportunity to be able to see this stuff rather than wait six months after its yeah. theater release and then watch it. And then The Green Knight, I'm disappointed because that's not going to be streaming. That's going to be released to theaters in July. Like, will I want to be going to a movie theater in July? I don't know. Well, it's tricky, too, because it also raises questions of what content on these streaming sites gets promoted to you. 
Netflix is a really good example. What is the algorithm telling you to watch? Oh. You know, because you have to on these these platforms will have sometimes pretty decent or classic films, you know, but they're not being promoted. And you have to dig or search for them. You know, they're promoting their latest whatever, which makes sense. But then the algorithm will connect it. And then that's also a question of how people are hearing or learning about new releases that has changed. So Netflix right. told me to watch The Woman in the Window, which I did today. Oh, boy. How was that? <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard nothing but just terrible things. It was bad. It was like movie. So what is what is the woman in the window? It's a it's a thriller movie starring Amy Adams. It also has Julianne Moore, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie, Wyatt Russell. <gasps> wow. Amy Adams is an agoraphobic who's stuck in her house and very similar to Rear Window. She is right. looking at her neighbors across the street and through their, the window of their house, and she thinks she sees a murder. She seems very unreliable, and you really don't know what's happening. And it just felt very obvious, because there's a moment yeah. when, and the bad guy is, like, being very, like, obvious, as if he's reading from a textbook or from a true crime podcast that's trying to dissect why bad guys are bad guys. That's a huge problem that I had with Tenet. Mm. I thought you liked Tenet. Which we also received some li listener mail about because I was not very clear about my feelings about Tenet. And I think that's because I'm confused myself um, <laughs> about my feelings about Tenet. I'm not. I didn't like it. <laughs> that over-exposition. Yes, yes, just yes. Just drives me nuts. Nolan is so, so many bad scripts. about that. You know, it's the same thing that Jesse's saying about the woman in the window, where there is no point in you having to spoon feed this plot to us, we get it. You know, and having every character explain every part of what they do is it just feels sluggish, it feels unnecessary. Yeah. And even though I had a ton of fun turning off all the lights and putting it on the big screen and watching everyone go backwards and, you know, okay, sure, fun. But that and the total actual lack of plot and... <laughs> I think that I had fun watching Tenet and I would watch it again. I think that's mm. why I can't say that I hate it is that I'd probably watch that again, even if it is just everything Christopher Nolan's ever thought about thrown into <laughs> one movie. That's so true. For me, what... It's a big old melting pot. For me, pot. what Tenet did was it made me realize, finally, and accept, actually more so accept, that I don't like Christopher Nolan. I, <laughs> I in general, like, I, I love Dunkirk. It is one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. I think it's really good but it's almost the opposite of every other movie he has ever done. You know, it's it's in in terms of like it's short, there's very little plot. Um uh, it's well edited, like it's in that sense and it's not all about the only thing his time nonsense in Dunkirk. I was going to say, but t I think that in Dunkirk he uses that to really powerful effect and in these other movies, for example, Interstellar, I also hate. I hate Interstellar. Oh, I liked Interstellar. Okay. <laughs> I will not defend Interstellar. I liked Memento. I liked Inception. I liked The Prestige. 
prestige is good. I do like the prestige. But the thing about Ten is you watch it and it makes you realize how bad all these other movies actually are. It's just that there were good performances or stars or it was shiny or it looked nice. And then you realize how much mm-hmm. mumbo jumbo most of them are. Mm-hmm. Especially Tenet, especially Tenet compared to Inception. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are a lot of parallels yeah. between those where in Inception, you're having so much fun watching Tom Hardy just be oh Tom Hardy God. in that movie that you don't, that it became super clear to me how much of his charm influenced how I felt about parts of that yeah. movie <laughs> that were lost in Tenet. Oh, my, Tom Hardy in Inception is so good, and he has he's only on screen for so many minutes, and he's so memorable. I mean, that almost jump-started his career, didn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> so the other thing about um, The Woman in the Window, can we talk about Amy Adams and her last few movies? Because she needs help. What were her last? Amy Adams needs help. Her last movie is Hillbilly Elegy, Mm-mm. and she's going to be oh. she's going to be in the upcoming adaptation of the Broadway show Dear Evan Hansen. Can we talk about a bum streak of movies? She was in Vice. She was in Sharp Objects, which was really good. Arrival. Arrival. Vice was three years ago. Arrival was five. Yeah, years she ago. didn't do anything from Vice no to Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> That's a blank space. Yeah, and then it's The Woman in the Window and Dear Evan Hansen. American Hustle. And, like, I love her. I love Amy Adams, but that's a bad streak. That's a bad streak. Did you guys see the trailer for Dear Evan Hansen? No. No. Oh, boy. How can we say it's bad? Go, we go seen watch it, it. Watch the trailer. The Muppets? Okay, The Muppets was 10 years ago. Leap Year? Like, I feel like every other movie... Jessie, that was... (laughs) Every third movie she's done has been, like, one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, but that's my... That's why I'm saying it's a bad streak, because otherwise Amy Adams is one of the most consistent actresses picking consistent projects in Hollywood. And yet, these three movies are three of the worst... But she was good in... Like, just three of the worst. (laughs) In Woman in the Window, the only reason I could keep watching is because the movie is... 70% 70% looking at her alone and her reacting to stuff. And that's good. It's everything else that's bad. She's amazing. <laughs> that's not the problem. It's these projects that are bad. That's why I'm like, she needs help. I don't know if it's that it's because they were all filmed at a weird time, if there's a gap. I don't know if it's because they're, it's harder to get projects as an older woman in Hollywood and this is what she's getting. Or if she really thought these were going to be good. But they're this is rough. She's waiting for the next Muppet movie. As am I. As mm. am I. Aren't we all? <laughs> so you haven't seen Dear Evan Hansen? Sorry, go ahead. I saw a screen cap from the Dear Evan Hansen trailer of Ben Platt as a teenager trying to get into his locker as a comparison to Florence Pugh as Amy in the schoolroom with all of the children. Yes. <laughs> He's also being compared to that one guy in Greece that was just clearly, like, in his 40s. (laughs) (laughs) Playing one of the greasers. Yeah. What else have you been watching, Jesse? Well, Mare of Easttown, that's a big one. Finale Mm. is tonight. Very excited. Do you recommend it? I recommend it, yeah. Any theories you want to share? Well, I can't 
give any theories because those would all be spoilers because it does a good job mm-hmm. of making you suspect absolutely everybody. <laughs> everybody except for Mare. Anything else? The Underground Railroad. Oh, how's that? It's very good. Very, very good. So was that, that's the 10 episode series by Barry Jenkins, his adaptation of the Pulitzer Prize winning novel by Colson Whitehead. That's right. right. Yes, correct. So was that released all 10 episodes at once? It was. On what platform? Amazon Prime. I've only seen people like on Twitter talking about it and critics talking about it, but it hasn't shown up. It hasn't been promoted to me or advertised to me or reviews shared or anything like that, really. Really? Yeah. But I did see something kind of bemoaning how people talked about that 10 episode series for a couple of minutes and then everything became about Mare of Easttown. The Army of Darkness movie. What's, What's the Army, the Army of, Darkness? of Darkness? Oh boy. It's that, <sighs> that was it's a deep that side. Zombie. It's that. I, is it Zack Snyder? I don't know. But it's one of those. And it's the one where they're in Vegas and it's zombies, but the zombies have With their own Tignotaro. Kind of thing, where Chris Delia was originally in it and they just reshot all of his scenes with Tignotaro. Oh I want to see that. Because I want mostly because I want to see Tignotaro and how they stitched her in. That looks really cool. (laughs) But I saw a lot of stuff saying, wow, why could we not keep up the conversation about Barry Jenkins' 10-episode adaptation of the Underground Railroad and instead we're all distracted immediately by Army of Darkness Because this is the nature of streaming these days, and I think the pandemic has made it worse. Like, our attention spans for content is even lower than before because we're like... Or maybe I'm speaking for myself. It's like we're desperate for good content because of the pandemic. We've been home. We want to make that connection to material. We just gobble it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fleeting. Mm. I mean, I think if they had released it as like on HBO Max, like Mare of Easttown, it would become, again, there would be something like every week you have to watch. Although... Honestly, it's so tough to watch that I could only watch like it like it took me almost like a full week to watch it to complete it because I couldn't watch more than one episode at a time. Yeah. Mm. The end is just like, like I wish you guys had watched it so that we could talk about it because like I want to talk about the last scene. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could spare 10 episodes of ER and instead give the Underground Railroad my full attention I, and watch 10 episodes of that. <laughs> I strongly recommend that you do. Strongly recommend that you do. It's very good. I will. And I listened to his Fresh Air with Terry Gross about it, and it was very good. And it was very interesting. Mm. So nice. Yeah, I'll watch. I'll I will watch prioritize it. the Underground Railroad. Here's the thing: I really love Carter, mm-hmm. John Carter, played by Noah sure. Wiley, and I only really remember the stuff after. Mark Green dies like his last season is kind of when I remember watching it growing up and I remember a lot of these storylines and these characters really well Mm -hmm. and just very funny what like a formative crush John Carter is in my memory (laughs) and like watching a lot of these old scenes being like wow like I mean would you say would you say Noah Wiley on ER is like your formative television crush or no. Who would that be? I don't think he is. It's I don't John Krasinski, know who that would be. obviously. Oh, it's definitely John Krasinski as Jim <sighs> on The Office. It's, yeah. Yeah. 
For TV, yeah, for TV. Oh, no, you know who Jesse says? It's David Duchovny on the X-Files. David Duchovny. Oh, yeah. It is Mulder. I mean, yeah, <laughs> obviously. That's the one. <clears throat> That's still Jesse's, like, television husband, right? Forever. Baby, baby, Frankie. Mine's gotta be McDreamy. I'm sorry. That was formative for me. <laughs> I loved McDreamy so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, and watching it again... Good choice. He was so hot. <laughs> and yes, also, like, going so back hot. to to some of my earlier commentary, he's just so adult. Like, he's just so mature. What is this adult? <laughs> what is this mature? He's just so mature, and it's attractive. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy has become this, but they're just kind of, like, acting like children all of the time. And they look like children, and it's just frustrating. And he, in these early seasons at least, I can't comment on later. He's, like, pretty mature, and it's nice. It's an adult He's relationship. An adult. He is an adult, and it's he very He makes erotic. his own schedule. <laughs> <laughs> and he really was McDreamy. He was so dreamy. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we don't need to talk about Grace Anatomy on this episode. <laughs> you say you're all dark and twisty. It's not a flaw. It's a strength. It makes you who you are. I'm not going to get down on one knee. I'm not going to ask a question. I love you, Meredith Grey. And I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Yeah, but anyway, so talking about the post-pandemic transition, theaters are opening up. Uh, No masks required and that kind of thing if you're vaccinated. In what circumstances do you think you'll be returning to the theater? I just don't have to leave my house and, like, drive somewhere now. It just feels like a hassle. Mm-hmm. Like, I think during the pandemic, I realized how much time I spent, like, waiting in lines or, like, sitting in traffic. And that just feels like such a waste of my life that I don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to do everything from home or everything from, like, wherever I want to be so that I don't have to transit. Hate that. Hate it. <laughs> I will go back once I'm fully vaccinated. I will probably try and go to an open-air, outdoor movie situation before that happens. But I think by the fall, I'll be back in a movie theater. What about you, Frankie? Um, I would feel pretty comfortable after being fully vaccinated, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty comfortable going back to the movies. Um, maybe not for, like, a fully packed theater yet, but I don't think they're fully packed, right? I don't think that's happening, at least around here quite yet um yeah find me at like the 12 20 right. showing yeah <laughs> and i'd be totally comfortable with that and i i i just really want to see the new james bond in theaters when that eventually comes out knock on wood so i do miss event movies in the theater yeah it's not the same to watch you know tenet at home i tried to recreate some of it and it was fun in the attempt, but would have been much better in an actual movie theater. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's being generous. It would have been more fun. There you go. It would have been even more fun yeah. at a movie theater. I'll be happy to eat movie theater mm-hmm. popcorn again. Because popcorn mm-hmm. at home is not, mm-hmm. not as good. Not salty or buttery enough. So maybe that's a good segue into our, our next theme. So our next theme is going to be summer. Yeah. Because we are now entering summer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
and we're all vaxxed up and excited, so let's celebrate and watch some summer movies. So the first movie we're going to be doing is my choice, and it's the 1999 movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley, directed by Anthony Minghella. It's one of my favorite movies. I think it really captures some of my favorite things about summer, and I'm excited to talk about it. Mostly linens. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. The outfits are just so good. This is one of those movies I know not everybody likes, but I think the vibes in it are just immaculate. They're just great. <laughs> immaculate vibes. <laughs> immaculate vibes in this movie. Um, oh, I just, I want to get started already. I'm so, I just like, oh. Holster. I just, I can't. <laughs> the cast is so good. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. So that'll be, that episode will be dropping June 22nd. We're going to take a couple weeks off and come back the, the first official Tuesday of summer. Yes. And we will be transitioning to a new format of dropping an episode every other week. So when we come back in June, we'll be talking about summer and hopefully actually experience some of it right like living up the summer if you have any summer movies in mind jesse and i have yet to make our selections and we'll consider recommendations we make no promises but any ideas you want to send our way we'll annie them. you should do mama mia and talk about greece i'm serious <laughs> that'd be so much fun mama mia too you could do a, a Mamma Mia dog tooth double feature. If you guys are down, <laughs> I'd be so down for that. Let's do it. Let's do it. That'd be fun. What people think Greece is like, what Greece is actually <laughs> like. <laughs> and then Jesse, you can you can do Independence right, Day, right? right? You got that. <laughs> All right. So that wraps up our free reeling episode and our second series on sisters. So tune into our next episode in a few weeks on June 22nd at the beginning of summer as we talk about the talented Mr. Ripley. Be sure to check out our show notes to each episode where we provide more context on the movie and we drop links to references we make in each episode. If you like what you hear, follow us at CinemaSilopod on Instagram and Twitter or check out our website at CinemaSilopod.com. See you next time in the silo.